Muslims around the world are marking the first Ramadan in two years, largely without COVID-19 restrictions. But now, another crisis is casting a pall over the holy month. The war in Ukraine, a global economic downturn and a high oil price, among other factors, are driving food prices to an all-time high. Nations which import the majority of their food, including much of the Middle East, like Lebanon, Iraq, Syria and Yemen, have to contend with inflating prices as well as the rising costs of importing food into their countries. The head of the World Bank has said the food crisis will last for months. I'm Taylor Heyman and this is Beyond the Headlines. This week, we're asking how Muslims are dealing with shortages and price hikes this holy month, and what governments are doing to relieve the pressure. Before we start, subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to get the latest episodes. Ramadan, when observant Muslims fast from dawn to dusk, began at the beginning of April. It is usually a time of sharing, breaking each day's fast with extended family and friends, as well as giving to charity. But ordinary people from Egypt to Yemen are finding it difficult to put Ramadan staples like rice, bread, oil and meat on the table. The World Food Programme says the cost of a basic food basket has increased by 351% in Lebanon, 97% in Syria and 81% in Yemen. Abu Sama from Syria is anxious about the impact the war in Ukraine is having on the wider world. The prices are scary and the situation is scary following the crisis we went through. We hope that God will resolve this crisis peacefully because all segments of society are affected by it. But it affects poor people more than anyone else. Families across the region are making sacrifices this holy month. Take Amunis in Iraq, who is feeling far from celebratory. Everything is expensive. Meat is expensive. We will not buy it. Other things like sweets, we will not make them, they are expensive. And so about the oil, we can't even use it anymore. Sikandra Kurdi, a senior research fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute's Cairo office, explains how price rises around the holy month aren't uncommon, however. It's, it's a bit of a kind of a surprise to some people um, if they're not aware of it. Um, but because the kind of consumption patterns change a lot, there's a lot of overconsumption, there's a lot of waste, um, and there's a lot of also overeating. Uh, there's actually more demand for food during Ramadan, in spite of people are um, in principle supposed to be fasting, than there is in the other months of the year. And that causes um, upwards pressure on, on prices and can be very difficult for poor households. Usually that's compensated by increased charitable giving. Um, so hopefully the, that can also be part of the response this year. The usual increase in prices during Ramadan can be difficult for the poor. But this year, feeding a family is becoming almost impossible. Food prices have risen by as much as 50% in the run-up to the holy month. And combined with the very specific issues each country in the region is facing, life is becoming harder for average Arabs. So let's look at some normal items you might find at an iftar meal with your family. Starting with bread. It's a staple in the region throughout the year, but particularly during Ramadan. The price of a loaf has climbed astronomically since Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th. Russia and Ukraine export approximately 25% of the world's wheat. Tunisia, Egypt, Lebanon and others rely on Ukraine and Russia for over 50% of their wheat imports. 
The war has strangled exports, leaving importers and governments scrambling to make up the shortfall from other producing nations at a higher price. Bread is also heavily subsidised by governments across the region, meaning they must bear the cost of price increases or pass hikes on to customers and risk a dip in popularity or even unrest. In Lebanon, for example, a loaf of bread now costs on average 10,000 Lebanese pounds, or 45 cents, more than six times what it cost before the onset of the economic crisis there in 2019. In Lebanon, scarcity isn't so much the issue as the lack of cash to pay for shipments. In March, our correspondent Suniva Rose revealed Lebanon hadn't placed any new orders for wheat on the international market as the central bank said it could not afford to subsidise it at the higher rate charged by alternate providers like France or Poland. As a smaller nation, it just doesn't have the negotiating power. How about oil to cook your food in, or rice to accompany your meal? In Egypt, with a population of over 100 million people to feed, rice costs 12 Egyptian pounds per kilo, compared to 8 last Ramadan. Cooking oil, usually sunflower oil sourced from Ukraine, has gone from 40 Egyptian pounds last year to 70 today. Other nations are seeing similar price rises. Hani Basali, president of Lebanon's Syndicate of Importers of Foodstuffs, Consumer Products and Drinks, says nations that import a lot of their goods are more likely to suffer as the global market fluctuates. When you're talking about other things like production of canned food or canned beans, uh, like, you know, the hummus and all the, the, the basic materials. But unfortunately, all of these materials are imported. So even your, our chickpeas uh, or our tahina, you know, uh, as, as a Middle Eastern dish, the, 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 the beans and the tahina and the chickpeas are main items. But unfortunately, all the raw materials, and I'm talking all of them, are imported. So the whole sector of the food industry is uh, highly dependent on import of raw materials before exporting. Nations in conflict are also bearing the worst of the food crisis. Mark Lowcock is a distinguished non-resident fellow at the Centre for Global Development. He spent four years as the UN Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator from 2017 until 2021. Mark explains how several factors combine in the world's most vulnerable countries. And they're countries which are very reliant on importing food and struggle to provide or to find the money to pay for those imports. And they include countries like Afghanistan, Yemen, Somalia, countries across the Sahel and so on. Many countries with large Muslim populations. And there's a, there's a proportion of the population in those countries for whom the problem is made much worse because they basically have no income, often because of conflict or war, as we've seen in Afghanistan and Yemen and in other places, and their government is unable to pay for a safety net, which exists in most countries. But it isn't just the war in Ukraine driving prices up. Food and other items were seeing hikes well before it even began. So food prices are ultimately determined by supply of food around the world, amount of food grown, and the demand for food around the world. And that is really about how much food people need, but also how much they can afford to buy. Now, what's happened 
um, over the years is prices go up and down. There was in 2007-8 a big increase in the prices of food, and that was driven by harvest problems in lots of food exporting countries, but also by big increases in the price of oil and fertilizer and other things that farmers have to buy in order to grow food. So what what has happened in the last couple of years is that there's been poor harvests, relatively speaking, in some parts of the world. We've seen gradual increases in oil prices even before the Ukraine events. We've seen growing fertilizer prices and we've seen bigger um, population around the world. So the demand for food has been growing and there's been supply problems. So we were, before the Ukraine problem, heading into another serious issue of the sort we last had in 2007-8. Currencies are falling against the dollar in Jordan, Syria, Lebanon and Egypt, driving inflation on top of shortages. Hani explains how Lebanon's currency collapse is impacting food prices. So you have two factors for the rise in prices. First of all is the the, the exchange rate, which dropped down uh, more than uh, whatever in, in, in hundreds percent. So it went down from whatever it was at 1500 per dollar to now it's 25 thousand per dollar and reached even 33,000. So I don't, I cannot even imagine what's the percentage. So uh, one part of the price hike is definitely the exchange rate. But then you have also the raise in the international prices. And then here you have two steps. First of all, the main uh, raise in international prices of commodity prices all over the years. And then you have the Ukraine crisis, which really jumped up the prices by more than 20% in two months. These seemingly runaway prices could have devastating consequences. Already, millions around the world are experiencing hunger. But famine could be around the corner if action isn't taken, says Mark. And there's only been one large-scale famine so far this century, which is uh, the famine in Somalia in 2011, where something like a quarter of a million people starved to death or died from diseases that you only die from if you're near starvation. There's been a growing number of people who are nearly at famine levels in countries like Afghanistan, Yemen, Somalia, South Sudan, parts of northeastern Nigeria, where there's a Boko Haram um, extremist insurgency, and in a few other places. Um, And what we have now is a heightened risk because of the increase in food prices and because governments and aid agencies are struggling to get enough money to help people reliant on them, we're seeing an increased risk of um, that kind of mass starvation coming back. It's not inevitable, it's still preventable, but the risk is, at, I think, a higher level than we've seen really for many years. So what are governments doing to soften the impact of global price hikes on normal people? Egypt says it has stockpiled enough wheat to last nine months and has fixed the price of bread on the free market. It currently provides 71 million people with subsidised bread each day, to the tune of 270 million loaves. It has also announced a Ramadan assistance package to help the most vulnerable. Sikandra explains the role subsidies can play in easing the burden on a nation's poorest. 
Now, at the level of the individual uh, consumer, um, a lot of it is going to depend on what the government is doing. So, for example, in Egypt, one of the um, responses has been that Egypt has a subsidized bread program, which covers about 80% of the population. Um, and uh, the the, so there's a difference between the domestic price and the international price, but because uh, the government uh, is under so much pressure um, from the international prices, they have had to let the, the subsidized price of bread increase. So that's been a shock um, for uh, everybody who was used to getting subsidized bread and it's now um, kind of doubled in price. Um, on the other hand, you have countries uh, like Yemen, for example, where there's no kind of government policy insulating them at all from the international price spikes. Um, so they've always been paying much higher prices uh, for basic staple commodities, and they're facing the full kind of uh, international um, increase in prices right now. The UAE has reassured its residents that shopping will remain affordable, as it has price caps on thousands of essential items. In Lebanon, less is being done. The country has been gripped by an economic crisis of huge proportions for three years. For much of this time, the country has been without a working government. Things look unlikely to change as yet another election approaches, says Hani. For the time being, the whole political uh, people, the whole political groups are focusing on the elections, which is due in about one month. And uh, uh, if you look, uh, we as as a private sector who are following uh, the news, uh, we can see no visibility uh, until the 16th of May, which is the day after the elections. For the time being, nobody is focusing on the well-being of the country. They are all focusing on uh, the election side and who is going to win. Where governments fail, aid agencies are trying to step in. Although Yemen's warring parties reached an uneasy truce just before the holy month began, the world's worst humanitarian crisis has left millions suffering from food and medical shortages. Similar scenes can be witnessed in Afghanistan, where the takeover of the Taliban in August 2021 led to the removal of many aid programmes. The UN says more than half the country's 38 million people are facing hunger as the winter drags on. The World Food Programme's costs are mounting as more people need their assistance and they try to procure the items needed to feed them. In March, the organisation said it was facing additional costs of $71 million per month for global operations compared to 2019, a 50% rise. Mark says the higher costs mean a higher burden for aid agencies, as some countries are dependent on aid to stave off famine. They're basically entirely reliant on aid organisations. It might be the Red Crescent, it might be the United Nations, it might be the um, NGOs of various sorts. Um, and those are the most vulnerable people. And the problem the aid agencies have got is twofold. Firstly, the cost of the food that they want to buy to give roughly 100 million people around the world who have no other means of getting food to give them food, those costs are going through the roof because all food prices are increasing. But secondly, aid agencies are reliant on generous donations from donor countries to pay for the food they want to buy for starving people. And one of the other things that's happening right now is that 
the budgets of the aid agencies are being diverted to help people in Ukraine, which is a really important thing to do, but they're being diverted from these other places where many people are starving. And that creates a huge risk. Sikandra explains how, despite government policies, the food crisis is set to last for months to come. Part of the issue right now, why the the food prices are spiking, is because um, it's difficult for uh, people to make adjustments very quickly in uh, supply, uh, especially for agriculture, for wheat. Um, uh, it's uh, Obviously, you have to sow the wheat, wait for it to grow, harvest it. You have particular seasons. Um, so we're just uh, already coming out of the um, uh, harvest season for the winter wheat. And um, there was this surprise of the war in, in Ukraine. So it's not that there is not the capacity for the world uh, to grow more wheat. There definitely is. Um, uh, For Canada, for example, they could grow a lot more wheat um, in the coming season um, in the fall. So part of the problem is that it's going to take time. They can't uh, instantly kind of create uh, wheat. Even if there is enough land um, and enough resources, enough water globally to feed everyone, it's very much an issue of a distribution and um, the incentives that, that farmers have uh, to grow different crops. So we'll see that, uh, for example, if we put all of our land and uh, water resources just into growing staple grains, easily we can cover all of the calories people need. Now, what's actually happening is a lot of the land is used for growing feed grains. Um, because people are, are eating meat more than only staple grains. So that, that um, is uh, kind of prioritizing the um, diets uh, of people in, in wealthy countries who are eating more uh, meat and uh, maybe other, uh, 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 other food types. The United Nations has set 2030 as the year when they aim to see an end to all world hunger and malnutrition. The world has been slowly moving towards that goal for decades. But with an increasingly global food industry, any instability can impact the food supply and cause ripples around the world. Mark explains how these ripples are compounded when a crisis disrupts the food supply, but also requires attention and aid that would otherwise be spent helping those most vulnerable to starvation. There's a lot of attention on the Ukraine crisis for understandable and good reasons, but Policymakers really do need to think about the ripple effects of the crisis, the wider impact of it, and start to develop some responses to that um, in time to avoid major tragedies. Because if there aren't responses, then we could see some really terrible outcomes for millions of people by the end of this year or into next year. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Taylor Heyman. Thanks this week to Zikandra Kurdi, Mark Lowcock, Hani Bosali, and our reporters in Lebanon, Cairo, and Baghdad. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show by clicking the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. This week's episode was produced by Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison.